Welcome to the fifth episode of QSource's Rethink Tobacco podcast series. This series focuses on increasing awareness in our communities around the health impacts of smoking and tobacco use. In this episode, you'll hear from an addiction expert and learn about the behavioral health services available for tobacco use disorder. All right, we want to welcome to the QSource podcast today, Emily Love. She comes to us from the Bureau Chief of Addiction Services and Division of Mental Health and Addictions. She is an ex- subject matter expert that we have asked to come and talk to all of us about our initiatives with Rethink Tobacco and understanding what more we can do as a community and understanding our partnerships with behavior health uh, facilities on tobacco use disorder. So we are so excited, Emily, to have you with us today for the conversation. And I was uh, hoping you could just give us a little introduction to your background and some of the work that you're doing locally. Good morning. I'm excited to be here and be a part of this initiative. Like Kathy said, my name is Emily Trulove. My pronouns are she, they, them. I am a person that identifies as non-binary, and I say that because representation matters. And so I like to introduce myself in that way. I am currently at the Division of Mental Health and Addiction at the state of Indiana. I've been here for a little over a year. Previously, I worked at one of the community mental health centers as a caseworker and a life skills specialist, and I was um, a part of the wraparound program with youth and families, as well as a supervisor for that program. So a little bit of of background in, in little different areas with both adults and youth and substance use disorder and mental health. And I understand, Emily, that you recently spoke at a conference locally, and I wondered if you could talk a little bit about that conference. And then we are hoping to share some of that information from that conference on today's conversation. So could you give us a little highlight about that? Yeah, so the conference was, uh, I believe it was the Tobacco Exchange Conference that Rethink Tobacco had put on for uh, the different tobacco prevention and cessation providers in Indiana. One of the days, it was a three-day conference, and the last day was specifically focused on behavior health clinicians and entities. That day really focused on trying to bridge the gap between tobacco use prevention and cessation, as well as how can the behavior health community and the social work community tie together those and include the programming inside their programs. The conference was full of a lot of information. They had um, a lot of background on just tobacco and the history of big tobacco and uh, the tobacco settlement funds and things like that and how that has influenced impact different systems of care today. And then that third day, we focused on trying to, again, bridge those gaps. In preparing for today's podcast, I was learning more about your role with Division of Mental Health and the educational outreach that you're doing with these behavioral health care providers in trying to understand tobacco use disorder and how it plays a role in treatment. Is that correct? And how can you explain that to our listeners? I think one of the biggest 
barriers that we run into with the behavioral health community is that our focus is really solely on mental health and substance use disorder. Um, our acronym for that is SUD. So if I say SUD, that's what I'm talking about, substance use disorder. Sometimes we get so caught up in our acronyms we don't realize when we're speaking in the alphabet language. One of the biggest barriers is that we're just so focused on that and we don't even realize that tobacco use disorder is a part of the SUD diagnosis. Tobacco use disorder has actually been in the DSM Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Health Disorder. And that's pretty much the manual that, that all therapists and clinicians use to diagnose clients and individuals. Tobacco use disorder has been in that manual since 1980. And yet so many behavioral health entities and communities and providers don't treat or recognize tobacco use disorder. They're so focused on the mental health aspect and the substance use disorder aspect as far as like opioids or stimulant use disorder and not so much on that tobacco use. With my role within DMHA, I kind of have the flexibility within my role of being the Bureau Chief of Addiction Services to be able to kind of link and wave in between different teams within DMHA. So the prevention team and opioid team and the just different different teams within DMHA. And so with that being said, like I have a little bit more of a, a bridge and an outreach and a stretch to be able to reach out to different providers in different fields within the substance use and mental health community. So can we take a deeper dive and talk about maybe some of the hows and the whys of, of the strategies that you're using with providers, like how having to change your approach, if at all, and then why would you think that they would want to change their processes? What's the outcome that you probably, I assume, have to kind of dangle in front of them? Like what is their end result going to look like and their the return on investment, I guess. I've heard and I've listened and I've I've read your material and it sounds like you have challenges <laughs> and you have some barriers probably to some of that education. So I'm just kind of wanting to take a deeper dive into what that looks like. As far as the whys, I mean, that's really important, right? Just the education. I think with even myself being a behavioral health provider and having that direct service experience, not really seeing tobacco as that big of a deal and not really understanding. So one of the biggest things that we're trying to do is really educate our providers and show that, yes, this is a big deal. Just to throw some different things out there is that tobacco and nicotine really is the leading cause of preventable deaths within the U.S. and really the world. And so showing that the CDC talks about how that Worldwide tobacco use causes more than 7 million deaths per year. And if it continues on this rate, then by 2030, which is eight years from now, then that's going to jump to more than 8 million people dying from tobacco related uh, diseases and illnesses. That just shows like how big of an impact we hear a lot that in comparison with the substance use field that in 2021, the CDC estimated over 107,000 deaths due to overdose within that year. So when you think about that and you compare it with 
tobacco, you know, cigarette smoking is responsible for more than 480,000 deaths per year in the U.S. Hearing those numbers, those are some big numbers, right? And that's pretty alarming. Really being able to connect the dots with our providers, like, yes, it's very important to get someone into treatment and to help treat their substance use disorder. It's also just as important to treat the tobacco use disorder at the same time. From the behavioral health population specifically, so our clients, our consumers, our people that we're serving, our community, within that population, about 40% of all cigarettes sold is consumed by the behavioral health population within the U.S. And then more than 44% of those adults with serious mental illness are smokers compared to about 14% of society that doesn't have a serious mental illness. These are our people. These are the ones that we're trying to help. We're trying to save lives. We're, we're serving. We're spending all of this effort and this time and our resources to, you know, help them recover. And we get them through the system. They successfully get discharged from rehab or, or outpatient service, and then they're still smoking and then they're still dying. So that's something that I think just being able to really connect those dots with our providers and with their community and just show that it's not just a public health from like a medical provider point of view. This also very much impacts the behavioral health community and the mental health and substance use recovery community. Does vaping have an impact on these statistics? I would say that I didn't see anything specifically okay. in my research relate to vaping, but okay. I would imagine that this plays yeah. a part in these numbers as well. Sure. Right. Well, and I the reason I ask is I travel to these community coalitions across the state and we sit in um, tobacco-free uh, county meetings and vaping has become a huge conversation piece, right? And, oh, the, and the youth uh, vaping don't have the connection. They don't connect the dots because they have been told or have been influenced that it's a healthier choice than the cigarettes. But we have learned in our community coalitions that the impact is still so huge. And I know that I'm getting off track, but I was just curious because your statistics alone provide us with it's a huge concern across all boards. And then at the local level, we're just we're just now hearing some of the vaping uh, concerns come forward and putting together some toolkits and some strategies to help the youth understand the bigger picture. Most definitely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And vaping, I mean, that's a huge part of this conversation too, as well. Mm -hmm. And and the thing about vaping is to just make this connection, a lot of the different community uh, providers that are working in the tobacco cessation field uh, had to combat and fight against big tobacco, right? And and right. the the manipulations, the lies, the, the, the deception. Well, very similarly, the, the substance use disorder community, behavioral health community has had the similar problems with big pharma mm -hmm. and the opioid settlement funds and all of those. So we have a lot of similarities in being able to, again, bridge those gaps and f find our similarities and figure out how to work together. And the big part of that is figuring out how, how do we speak each other's language? And yes. I think that 
with the tobacco industry, they try to use harm reduction language, which is very much a behavioral health and substance use recovery language, and try to say that, oh, vaping is harm reduction for tobacco mm -hmm. and for mm -hmm. smoking. So this is healthier, this is better, you're reducing harm. It doesn't have as many, you know, bad things in it as cigarettes does. And I think it's important for our listeners to understand that when each other is talking about harm reduction, we're not talking about the same thing. There we and go. so Good. within the, the behavioral health and the recovery community for substance use, harm reduction is very much a very important strategy that has a lot of research to back it up. And I think that's something that's a big topic right now in our nation because of, you know, grant funding that's been released by SAMHSA and things like that you've seen in the news and media. Mm -hmm. So harm reduction very much is a really big hot button topic. And that's a conversation for a different podcast. But okay. I just okay. wanted to say, <laughs> I just wanted to say, you know, that it's not the same thing. And and talking about vaping, you might hear, oh, that's harm reduction. And it's not it's not the same. I have to thank you for the information that I've learned today and that our listeners have learned. And I, I do hope that you can spend time with us in the future and that we can continue this conversation because it does lead down so many different paths, right? But I do know today's focus is on our providers. Did you have any um, words for the future, any last minute strategies that you'd like to share? Again, talking about the, how to break the silos and why this is so important, it's just talking about that studies show that the participation and smoking cessation efforts while engaged in substance use disorder treatment have been linked to a 25% greater likelihood of long-term recovery, which is huge. I mean, think about that. Think about how many people you know, that we have that we serve within the substance use disorder treatment that come in and they get released if they receive these smoking cessation treatments while they're in our services and in our care they're 25 percent greater likelihood of that long-term recovery which is the goal that we all have we are all trying to save lives and we all want to see that happen so also just being able to you know, show that the tobacco cessation in conjunction with other mental health or substance use disorder treatment does not negatively affect the recovery from other substances. So again, at the same time, if you're working on these things at the same time as each other, they don't take away from each other, they don't distract from each other, they are, we are able to work on everything at the same time and be able to achieve that 25% greater likelihood. And just showing that, you know, this the benefits of the smoking cessation can actually extend to the opioid disorder treatment. So being able to use these strategies and they can positively impact each other at the same time. And I think that's the biggest thing that we want our providers to to take away from this. And I just, you know, I want to extend out that QSource would be happy to run an alignment and support you and all of your efforts, whatever we can do to help promote. Because I know Rethink Tobacco as a new partner for us has become a hot priority and we want to continue the conversation, Emily. So um, I hope you'll come back. And we just want to thank you so much for today's information. And if you've missed any of our previous podcasts on Rethink Tobacco, please visit our website for more information. Thank you.